Hi there. How you doing? All right. It's great to see you. Now, um, I have to tell you, because I've been working with the 10 o'clock service, I have to tell you this. They are reaching, they're, they, this group is getting rowdy at the 10 o'clock. Now, the extra hour of sleep, I mean, they were just over the top. So, and I mean, you guys are normally a pretty rowdy service, but there's the potential that they might take you over. I mean, just, I'm not trying to create competition, anything like that. I just feel like I'm relaying the facts. So, yeah. And that, but I'm telling you, they were into it. I mean, they were excited. They were clapping. They laughed really hard at all the jokes. They even laughed at stuff that wasn't that funny. I mean, it was just really, it was really good. And I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Your compatriots are, uh, are, are for real. All right. <clears throat> um, how many of you went trick-or-treating? Can I ask that this, this week? Yeah. See, okay. See, wow, you guys are really into it. All right, good. Uh, can I just see you one more time? I'm sorry, I wasn't looking. Uh, <laughs> all right, several of you. Uh, that's good. Uh, we went out, and um, I know that the roots of Halloween aren't that good and all that stuff, but my kids love candy. And uh, my kids dress up every day anyway. So to let, not let them go on the one day where they'd actually get candy for trick-or-treating is kind of like cruel and unusual punishment. So we went out, and uh, it was awesome to see all the kids. Uh, I will tell you this. Um, I had all this crazy stuff happen this week, which I'll tell you about later, but I had to get, I had to buy the candy this year. I've never bought the candy before. So I have no idea like what's an appropriate uh, amount of candy. Um, literally I have no idea what's an appropriate amount of candy. So I took Mia to Publix. Uh, I picked her up from school on, on, uh, when it was Halloween Wednesday, I picked her up and then we went to, um, went to Publix to pick up, to get some candy. And I didn't know. I'm, uh, so I was asking her. I'm like, why? I ask a five-year-old. That just sometimes makes me wonder. Um, but anyway, so I was asking her about it. And, um, and, and so I drive home. And I mean, it seemed like a lot. I'll be honest with you. So I drive home and I call my wife. And I'm like, Care, how much, um, how much money do you spend on candy every year? She's like, oh, like, I don't know, 25 or 30 bucks on candy. And I'm like, okay. So the $115 I spent was a little too much. Um, and she's like, you did what? And I said, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, every time I threw one in, Mia was like, let's get a couple more. And, uh, we have like this giant bowl that we would fill up with candy. I had that giant bowl filled up totally. And I was packing it in and I had like five or six bags left over, which, you know, we're still working through them, you know, it's taking some time. Um, but here's the thing is that when we, when we went out early, because I have, that's my whole strategy. You got to go out early before the sun goes down and you get the best candy. Um, you go late, you get scraps. So I'm teaching my kids good strategy about stuff. You know, uh, early bird gets the good candy. That's the saying. Anyway, and so, any, so what happens is, is that when we get back and then people were coming to the door, my daughter and, and, and my son's aunt, they were just grabbing handfuls, like 10 pieces and giving them to every kid. We still had tons of candy left over. But my, my daughter, some, a bunch of kids come to the door, and my daughter's like handing out just handfuls of candy to each kid. And one kid, he's dressed like a, like a ninja or something, and he says to my daughter, uh, and he says, I don't know who you are, but you're awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, so that was kind of the, so it, but it was awesome seeing all the kids dressed up. Um, it was a little weird seeing the adults dressed up, especially the women that feel the need to dress like a prostitute on Halloween. Um, no, I'm a nurse. Yes, if the nurse was a hooker, then yes. Um, anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there, but I just did find it interesting. Um, 
I actually, I was, I was telling my kids this. I, I found out about Halloween when I was six. Um, it was uh, my cousin. I have a cousin that's a few years older than me. She was going to a party. And so my mom said it was okay for, for me to go with her. And so when we got there, um, I was the only one not wearing a costume. It was 1979. So just to kind of give you a frame of reference. I, was, I just turned six. And um, uh, there were people dressed up, you know, and I remember this so vividly. I remember walking up to the house so vividly that people were coming in dressed up like, you know, Superman, Spider-Man, Darth Vader, you know, dressed up as all kinds of different things. And it was the old school costumes, if you remember. Not like now, where like you dress like, you get the costume like Buzz Lightyear and you can actually do what Buzz Lightyear can do in the movie. It's like, it's the old ones where it was like the plastic mask with the rubber band on the back, you know what I'm talking about? With the little staples on the side that actually broke after 15 minutes. Um, you, you, you get that. And then, uh, like, well, then the costume was just like a trash bag with like a print of what it would look like. So, like, your arms were regular. And then, on top of that, what was lame for me, I grew up in Boston, so I could have the coolest costume in the world, and my mom still made me wear a jacket. So it's like, you know, I remember dressing up like a ninja one year, and then it was like, it was like a, this most awesome ninja costume with my jacket. It's like, you're really not that awesome, are you, if you have to wear a jacket, you know. So anyway, but I remember getting to this house, um, and uh, I was wearing a white shirt and blue jeans. Uh, I mean, if it was, you know... Six years later, I could have gone as Bruce Springsteen, uh, born, you know, born in the USA or something. Uh, because, you know, all, singing Bruce Springsteen is pretty easy. You just have to sound like you're in pain. That's just, oh, oh. Anyway, um, I don't know where that came from. Um, so we get up to the house and I say to my cousin, I'm like, hey, I don't have a costume. And there, I've, I've never, I'll never forget this. There was this potted plant right next to the door. She grabs a handful of dirt. She just smears it all over my white shirt. And she says, if anyone asks, tell them you're a zombie. And I'm like, okay. I didn't even know what a zombie was. I was six years old. And um, anyway, uh, over the next, you know, 10, 12 years or so, by the time I had graduated high school, I had probably watched close to 100 zombie horror movies. Um, And and in fact, I would think that I was somewhat of a zombie aficionado um, because I had seen all of them, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, Return of the Night of the Living Dead, um, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and of course the classics, Evil Dead, 1, 2, and 3, subtitled Army of Darkness. Anyway, um, and, and the, you know, the thing is about zombies, they have like this, in every zombie movie, they're all the same. They all have the wrong image of themselves. That's kind of the whole problem. They all think that they're alive, but they're actually dead. That's the whole problem that zombies have. They all think they're alive, but they're actually dead. Um, if I can ask, some of you may have, maybe you haven't seen any of those movies. If you've ever, how many of you have seen the movie Weekend at Bernie's? If I can ask you that. Wow, a lot of you, big fans. If you've never seen Weekend at Bernie's, it's on like every hour on the hour on cable. Um, and as you know, it's the story of, a, it's a movie about a guy named Bernie uh, who dies, but his friends still take him around. Uh, as though he like still gets him into clubs and stuff and whatever. Um, and they act like he's alive, but he's actually dead. And then the only thing weirder about Weekend at Bernie's is that they made Weekend at Bernie's 2. <laughs> as if there were unanswered questions from the first one. And then the tagline, if you remember, the ta- I remember seeing the movie poster when I was a kid. And it, it's Weekend at Bernie's 2. And, and here's the, the, the tagline was, Bernie's back and he's still dead. I'm like, okay, we'll go there. We'll go. Um, now, I will tell you this, though. I see this happen in churches. I have spoken to a lot of groups. Uh, I've spoken, you know, in a lot of places. I've spoken in a lot of churches. And sometimes I will speak at a church, and uh, they're just like, they're not into it, like into anything. 
you know, they're there. It's like, because apparently, you know, it's a court order for them to be there. Uh, you know, it's like, their parole officers making them be there uh, at the service. And, uh, and I'm telling you, like, and I don't say it out loud, but I'm mentally thinking that I file this under, hey, this is a weekend at Bernie's church. Uh, because there's, you know, most of the people here are like Bernie. They're dead. And, uh, but you know what I'm glad about? I am glad that that's not the case with us. I'm really glad about that. Yeah. I am glad that Calvary is a church that's alive. I'm glad that you guys worship God passionately. I am thrilled that we are committed to teaching through the Bible. All the way through Genesis to Revelation, all the verses in between, we are committed to teaching the entire Bible. We're committed to reaching people who are far from God. We're committed to seeing people go from infancy in Christ to maturity in Christ. And some of you may not know this, but our mission statement at Calvary, our core desire at Calvary, what we do, the reason behind why we do everything that we do is to help people take their next step with God. That's it. That's the mission. That's the goal. That's the intention. That's the hope is to help people take their next step with God, because it doesn't matter if you're a new believer, a mature believer or a non-believer. We all have a next step to take. We all have a next logical step in our relationship with God that will deepen our faith, that will grow us, that will cause us to be more in love with God, to be more committed to God, to be more passionate about following the Lord. And so everything that we do at Calvary, from leadership to staff to servants, all of us, everything that we do is to help all of us take their, their next step with God. Now, that's, how, that's true individually, but I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening with us congregationally. Um, and I want to give you an update as to what's happening for us in, in the immediate to, you know, in the future uh, with us. And I told you last week I was going to tell you this. So let me give you, uh, let me fill you in on what's happening. Most of you know that um, probably about 10 months ago, uh, we signed a contract to purchase three and a half acres on the corner of Pembroke Road and Hiatus. Those of you that were at the anniversary service, we gave you a little map, drive by it, check it out, and you saw a parking lot and a big mound of dirt, and you're like, that's home. You know, that's it. You know, it's, it's going to be something. And um, now, shortly after, and we were working through some things that, that had come up, and we signed the contract, we started doing our due diligence uh, as uh, um, just as someone, you know, as an organization, as we were going to purchase a piece of property. And we found that there was a restriction on the property that didn't allow many things that couldn't be allowed on the property. But one was a church. The other was a roller skating rink, which kind of bums me out because that's the second thing I wanted to do. Uh, was start a church and then start, of course, the roller skating ministry. And uh, so that really was like, all right, check that off. Real bummer. And, um, but we did decide to start working to lift the restriction on uh, them allowing a church on the property. And that allowed... Uh, getting the other owners on that same uh, parcel, uh, because it was about a 10-acre piece that was divided up. We had to get the other owners to all agree. We had to take that to the city. The city had to agree to take it to the county, record it with the county. So lots of hoops. And people say, what's it like working with the city? You ever see the show Parks and Recreation? It's just like Parks and Recreation, except without the jokes. Okay? It's just like that. And uh, so anyway, we, uh, we started working on that. And then um, during that time, we, we found out a few other things. Now, one of, uh, I told you this originally that uh, this was a property that uh, was valued at a lot more than what we were purchasing it for, but because it had gone into foreclosure. So we were dealing not with um, the original owner per se, but with the bank that was trying to sell it. And so the bank, one of the things that we had agreed on is that the bank was going to, um, if you go east 
on Pembroke Road, they were going to build a turn lane that allowed people to turn onto our property. And so there was going to be an expense. They're going to have to dig up the road and uh, in turn to create this turn lane for us to go right onto the property. Well, they came to us and said, hey, listen, we're not going to be able to do that. So you're kind of on your own for that. So we came back and looked at it. And, and my feeling was, listen, if originally the deal was, um, hey, you're going to have, if that was originally part of the deal, we were going to have to build the lane. We still would have said yes. So let's just take it and just do it because it's still a good deal. Well, a couple of weeks later, they, um, they came back to us and said, hey, you know, I know in the deal we said that we were going to finish off the parking lot for you. Um, well, we're not going to be able to do that. So you're, gonna, you're kind of on the hook for that. And so now I'm starting to get a bit upset. And uh, so that's now going to add about $70,000 or $80,000 worth of expense to our project. The next week they came back to us and said, hey, by the way, and this is kind of the final straw, is when they said, uh, when you close on the property, there's going to be some liens or debts that, that were originally, that this other uh, owner originally had. You're going to have to assume that, that debt. And um, that's when I, I, we just said, uh, we came back together and uh, talked to our attorneys. Our attorneys attend church here. And, um, you know, our real estate agent who attends church here. And we just looked at it and said, listen, um, this is just not a good deal anymore. And uh, so we decided that, you know, like, let's cancel the contract. Let's get our money back. Let's regroup and figure something out. And so that's exactly what happened. So we decided to cancel the contract. And that was on a, uh, if I'm mistaken, like kind of a Thursday evening, Friday. Uh, That Sunday, I left for California, totally depressed, because I said, I got to stand up now and tell all you guys this, that we've been kind of working towards this for several months, and now it's not going to happen. And um, so I said, all right, well, we're going to tell everybody. And um, and so I said, well, when I get back, we'll make sure the thing is done. We'll get all of our money back. So we had picked today to be the day to to inform you guys and tell you what's going on. Um, Then something amazing happened. And uh, this is the part of the story that gets better. So if you're bummed out, um, you know, this is, this is the part where it starts to get better. Um, and, uh, there was a piece of property that we had looked at about 18 months ago. Um, there was a Lutheran church, um, that was looking to, like the, the Lutheran denomination was looking to plant a church in this area. As you know, there's like no churches in this area. Um, you know, so it's pretty like us and that's it, you know. Uh, so, um, and so anyway, they were looking to plant a church in this area. They had bought a piece of property about three minutes from here. And, uh, the church never grew beyond about 30 or 40 people event about, you know, 18 months or so ago, they closed the church down. So now they have this piece of property and no church. So they put it on the market. We saw, uh, the piece of property. It's about four acres and it was a nice, it was a nice piece of property, no doubt, but they wanted $3 million for it. And I said, well, $3 million, you can keep it. And, um, so... (laughs) You know, that's that. And so we decided to go in another direction. And, and we saw this other property. It was $2.1 million, um, And so we said this is a better situation for us. Then we kind of got into that whole thing. When we canceled the contract on the property that we were looking at, uh, we were in California. And Mark, uh, Pastor Mark was talking to our realtors. and said, hey, send me some listings of what's available. We haven't been looking for 10 months because we've been engaged in this other property. So just let, it, let me know what's available. Well... This property came back on the market that, you know, and the price had been lowered um, considerably. So what once was a $3 million property, they had now posted it back for $1.7 million. So um, we get back into town. This is a Thursday, Friday. We go see it. And I'm like, now they're talking my language. And um, so we go see the property. And I'm like, 
man, this is perfect. I mean, this is a great piece of property. It hasn't changed. Uh, the only thing that's happened is a little over a year has gone by, and, um, you know, there's, there's been really no activity, but it's still, still a great piece of property. And um, so they're like, yeah, well, they want $1.7 million for it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay that. Uh, that's just what they're asking. Uh, and so we made an offer on the property, and we kind of, you know how that goes. You go back and forth. And um, anyway, we agreed on $1.475 million on this property. Less than half. Now, this is the thing that to me is just so amazing. It's less than half of what they had asked for originally. It's bigger than the property we were going to get over uh, down the street. It's $600,000 less than we were going to pay for more property. Um, yeah, and now here's the other cool thing. Yeah, there's reason to be excited, no doubt. The other cool thing is, is that um, the, the Lutherans had already, have already done all the work. They've already gotten it rezoned for a church. They've already done all, all the legwork. So we don't have to go 15 rounds with the city to get all this stuff changed. It's literally, um, it's ready to go and perfect for a church. And that was one of the things is that they, they were figuring out who they're going to sell to when they saw a church was interested. Um, it's, it's going. And, and what's amazing to me is we've gotten more done in the last 10 days on this property than we got done in 10 months on the other property, just to show you how this thing is going. Now, the cool thing is we are, we're probably, uh, it's looking like we're going to close uh, within the next 60 days, uh, totally close on the property. Um, in December, the uh, architects uh, that we're going to use are going to be here. Uh, these are guys that um, are just the, some of the most creative people I've ever uh, met. Um, you know, I told you some of my meeting in California with a friend of mine. He's the guy who's the president of, of this company. Um, you know, they, uh, how many of you have been to Disneyland in California? Can I ask that? Okay, so have you, uh, how many of you have been, you've been to a hotel called the Grand, uh, the Grand Californian? It's like right when you walk in. Okay, all right. Okay, God bless you. A couple people back there. Um, anyway, um, he designed that. Uh, he designed that hotel um, that, uh, kind of is right in between the two parks, Disneyland and California Adventure. Um, he, designed the, um, he designed downtown Disney in, uh, in, in California. Um, if you've been to um, Islands of Adventure, if you've been, what is it called? Poseidon's Adventure, is that what it's called? Yeah, they did that. And uh, so anyway, I'm not really sure what they're going to design for us, uh, but I'm sure there's going to be an amusement ride, it seems like. Uh, so the whole thing I said about not getting shot out of a cannon last week, it's very possible that may happen. Um, so... Now, but anyway, they'll be here in December. They're going to be here with us. Um, in, uh, so in a few weeks, they're going to be here with us, and we're going to spend some time brainstorming and uh, walking this property and thinking through what our needs are. So um, anyway, by January, we'll have some sketches and some schematics so you can see what it's going to look like, what it is that we're going to build. Um, our goal is by Easter, which is at the end of March, is to have plans into the city. And so our goal is, our timeline is by Easter 2014 to start having services on this uh, new property. So very, very, yeah, very exciting news. Very exciting news. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing um, what's happening. For me, like the biggest thing is not just that it's less money. It's not just that it's more property. It's that it's already zoned is just like, it's such a huge thing for us because this is the thing that makes projects take so long. Uh, so anyway, so the, the, the good news is, I mean, Calvary is a church on the move, literally and figuratively. In fact, we have a, um, let, me, let me show you this map. Uh, you'll see, you know, you are here. Um, and for you guys, I'm probably blocking your view a little bit. But you'll see if you come up, if you come out to the light and uh, you go to Miramar Parkway, that you'll see where Publix is, right? Uh, not Publix, uh, Target. You're going to make a left. 
if you go to the next light, that's 184th, you go past that light, the next street, you make a right, that's 186th, it's right there. And I would encourage you to do this, if you would. After the service, and you're going to go to lunch and all that, drive by. Uh, drive by, you can stop, you know, there's, there's nobody there. Uh, uh, you can stop there, pull in, and man, get out, your fam- you know, get your family out, pray for what God is going to do on that property, pray for God to just uh, make it smooth sailing for us to get through this so we can start um, construction and start having services for God to provide all the resources for all this to happen. And um, it, it's going to be an exciting thing as we do this and take these next few steps together. So I encourage you um, to do that. So, all right. Now, uh, let me, let me um, transition if I can, because um, Calvary, as I said, is a church on the move. <laughs> it's a church on the move figuratively, figuratively and literally, uh, but so was the church at Thessalonica. Um, they were a church, much like Calvary, a church committed to reaching people, a, a church committed to discipling people. And so Paul in 1 Thessalonians lays out a lot of the basics of the faith. A lot of the basics of Christian character and development. He talks about the second coming of Jesus. That's an emphasis in 1 Thessalonians, as it is in 2 Thessalonians. But the other thing that he does is in 2 Thessalonians, he writes to them a few months later. Um, and in this letter, he's very pleased with their development. He's very pleased in what uh, God is doing in their, in their lives and, and in the church. But there's three things that he wants to share with them that he believes are so important, uh, important enough that he's going to write this letter to them. And so he's going to tell them three things in this letter. He's going to tell them, one, how to deal with persecution, how to deal with trials as you live for the Lord in a, in a fallen world. He's going to tell them, secondly, about the return of Jesus because false teachers had risen up. And these false teachers were saying all kinds of crazy things. There's all this confusion about um, the return of Jesus. Some people had, were saying that it already happened when in, in, in fact it had not. And then the third issue is one of idleness in that, um, that that is that there were some people in the church who believed that Jesus was coming back. So we should quit our jobs. We should just be lazy. Just, ha- you know, have some drinks that have little umbrellas in them and just wait for the wait for the show to start. Um, and and Paul is straightening them out that, hey, we've got to be about his business until he returns. And so Paul opens this epistle that we're going to start reading in a moment praising this church for everything that they're doing right. And the cool thing for us to learn from this church is that there's so much we can learn, so much that we can learn as a church corporately, and so much that we can learn as believers individually. Because they were engaged and involved in what God wanted them to be involved in. And so what I want to do in in this message and the time that we have is I want to show you essentially... um, what it is, what we need to be involved in as well. What these three characteristics that this church had, three characteristics that should be true about Calvary and three characteristics that should be true about our lives as well. And here's why this is so important. is because every time I talk to someone who's slipping in their faith, who's beginning to kind of fall away, one of these things is missing. Every time I talk to someone whose relationships are falling apart and imploding, um, it's one of these things that are missing. When I talk to someone and their life is just in shambles, it's one of these three things that's missing and keeping them from moving forward to where God ultimately wants them to be. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we start in verse 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we are bound to thank you always. Uh, thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three characteristics of this church that I want to tell you about. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. The first one is this, is that this church had a growing faith. They had a growing faith. Um, I want you to notice, particularly in verse 3, what he says about their faith. He says, because your faith grows exceedingly. This is a faith that was way above normal and way above average. And now I want you to, because, and he qualifies that in verses 4 and 5. Because if they have a faith that's growing exceedingly, you and I would have the question, which is, how is their faith growing exceedingly, right? What's making their faith grow exceedingly? And here's what it is in verses 4 and 5. It's the testing of their faith. It's the trials that they're going through. Now, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this. But if you want your faith to grow exceedingly, you got to go through trials and difficulties. It's just the way that it is. Now, I'll be honest with you. Every time, and I knew this was going to happen. Because, you know, a few, you know, obviously, you know, weeks ahead, I'm looking at the verses that I'm going to be teaching. And so I was reading, again, several times, Second Thessalonians, and I just see this emphasis on you're going through a difficult time, but keep, you know, keep pressing on and doing the right thing. And that's when I knew my life was going to be turned upside down. Because I, there's this thing that happens with me is that whatever it is that I'm teaching on, God makes me live it before it happens. Um, and so I knew once this happened, oh, I'm teaching on trials. Here it comes. And I believe it's because, you know, I share so much of myself in, in my messages that I think it's one of the ways that you guys learn as I tell you crazy stories of things that happen to me. So really all that to say, I blame you um, for all the stuff that's happening to me. Um, but, you know, I mean, because like, seriously, my life has gone crazy. And, um, and so if you've ever thought to yourself, I wish Pastor Bob would do a whole series of messages on trials. Yeah, never going to happen. Never going to happen because by the last message, I'd be dead. Um, and uh, like this week, this week, I mean, out of the, my son, who's like an, the Iron Man, this kid never gets sick. He's like throwing up all over the place and like everywhere. Um, you know, my wife got a, had a fever and she wasn't feeling well. And then just to top things off, my wife was making coffee this morning. She has this, like this organic way of making coffee, you know, anyway. Um, you know, you know how things are organic. Uh, you know, I, I know it's organic if it costs twice as much and it works half as good. Anyway, and uh, that's just how I know it's it's. Uh, but anyway, this is what happened this morning as my wife was making her organic coffee. Um, that was the coffee just exploded. Uh, and here's another nice picture. This is what our morning began. And uh, so it's like, what'd you do with that extra hour? Here's what we did. This is the we did with the extra hour of sleep. And um, and uh, so this is, did, I, did I mention today's my wife's birthday? Yeah, it is. Today's my wife's birthday. Yeah. Um, today she turns 29. So make sure you tell her. And uh, she's she, 29. Uh, she's turned, she's, it's been a few times she's turned 29. And uh, so, <laughs> but tell her. Tell her. Still the most beautiful girl I know, though. Uh, I know. Listen, you got to recover from that. Uh, so, but here's the thing. And this is the, this is the important thing about trials. Seriously. Trials are the moments. 
where you will learn things about God you never knew. And you will learn where you are in your own faith. And it's, it's just the way that it is. Because there are some things. It's like, well, why would God even make me go through this trial? Because there are some things that can only be learned through a trial. There are some things that can only be learned when there's a level of difficulty. When there's a level of challenge or pressure that's put on us. Let me explain it this way. Uh, we were at Disney a couple weeks ago. If you were here last week, I told you a little bit about that trip. Um, and we stayed at this hotel just outside of Disney World. And um, this hotel, it's not like a fancy hotel, but they're trying real hard to be a fancy hotel. So we give them a couple extra bonus points for trying hard. Uh, but th- they're, they're trying real hard. So if you go into the lobby of the hotel where the elevator is, every, um, the, every floor has like a mural on the wall. Like they, they painted this mural and... Um, Every floor has a different mural when you open, when the elevator opens up. Now, and so it's all like this Renaissance art, you know, that they're painting on the walls. Now, here's the thing about Renaissance art. It's fine, but you need a Renaissance artist to paint it on the wall or it just looks creepy. Um, so we're on the second floor. And so the, the elevator door opens and it's this kind of, um, it looks like, um, I don't know, it's, it's like this field. And then there's this guy, and it's, it's like, it's obvious that he's, a, it's like a traditional, kind of one of those traditional, like, Asian um, hats that are a little more triangular. And then it looks like, I don't know what he's supposed to be doing, but it looks like he's eating a cracker. So anyway, Xander saw, sees the picture and totally freaks out. I mean, totally freaks out, doesn't want it, run, like, jumps into my arms. Bobby, I don't want to see that picture. I'm scared of that picture. And... Um, now, and so he, he refuses. So I, we try, we go to the room. We come back to the elevator, totally freaked out. He's, he's going nuts because he doesn't like the picture. And then, and I'm like, Xander, it's not a big deal. So I walk up, I smack the guy in the face, um, the, in the picture, of course. I'm like a real person. I just, you know, and I'm like, look, it's just a wall. It's just paint. So I'm like, smack him. And oh, I don't want to touch him. You know, he's eating a cracker. And uh, so anyway, and so he just doesn't, he doesn't want anything to do with the picture. So anyway, he's like, Papi, I don't want to see the picture again. Please, I don't want to see the picture. So anyway, so we're there for four days. For the next four days, Xander and I take the stairs. I want you to think about spending like six or seven hours in Disney World. And then when you get back to the hotel, lugging it up the stairs. And then, of course, your son's tired. He's like, Papi, can you carry me? And I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding me, man. And anyway, but I did. I did because I'm a good guy. And uh, that's what I tell people all the time. I'm a good guy. And um, so, but here's what we would do. So we, get, so we get out of our room. We have to go down to the emergency stairs. We go down the stairs. Then we go back in to the main lobby, which is, and we go out front, which is where our car is parked. Um, and so down at the main lobby, there's this picture of um, these, uh, this picture of these people uh, dancing. And so Xander will ask me the question. He's like, Poppy, uh, who are those people? Now, he's already freaked out about the man eating the cracker. So I have to tread lightly. So I say, Zanzan, um, it's, uh, that's what I usually call him. Uh, so I say, Zanzan, it's, uh, it's a picture of angels dancing. And he says, um, why are the angels dancing? And I said, well, because the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that when someone comes to know God, when they start to love God, that there's a party in heaven. And so the angels are dancing because someone has come to know God. And he said, so the angels dance in heaven? And I said, yeah, when, they come, when someone comes to know God. And he says, what else do angels do? And I said, well, angels are God's helpers. And he says, yeah, what else? And I said, well, angels are our protectors. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so anyway, then we go to the car, 
And then we come back, we come back to the hotel after a day at the park, and he says, Papi, um, are we going to see the picture of the man with the cracker? And I said, no, Zanzan, we're, gonna, we're just going to go, and we're going to see the picture of the angels, and then we're going to go all the way to the end. Remember, all the way to the end. Then we're going to go, we're going to lug it up the stairs with you and me and all your stuff, and then we're going to get to the next floor, and then we're going to lug it all the way back to the room. Okay, so we're just going to see the picture of the angels? Yes, Zanzan. And the angels are dancing? Yes, Sander. Because someone came to know God? Yes, Sander. Because the angels are God's helpers? Yes, Sander. Because the angels are our protectors? Yes, Sander. Okay. And so then you do it. And then we're going to leave the next day. And he says, Bumpy, um, are we going to go the way? Because it was a left for the cracker picture and a right to the stairs. He says, Bumpy, um, are we going to go to see the man with the cracker? And I said, no, no, Xander, we're not going to see the man with the cracker. We, have we seen the man with the cracker since the first day? No, but... Papi, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the man with the cracker, because Mia, Mia's okay with the man with the cracker, because she's five. When I'm five, I'll be okay with the man with the cracker. But right now, I'm a little guy, and so I don't. So he says, I'm a little guy, and he says, I don't like the man with the cracker. I like the angel picture. And I said, okay. And he says, Papi, do you know the angels are dancing? I said, yes, I do. And he says, do you know the angels are God's helpers? I've heard that before. Uh, do you know that the angels are our protectors? No kidding. And uh, so anyway, this goes on for like four days. We get back. Now, here's the point. We get back to, to the next day. It's Monday. We go back to school. And I drop him off. You know, he's, in, he's in K3. I drop me off. He's in kindergarten. I go down the hall and drop Xander off at his class. And uh, I give him a kiss and a hug. And I say, all right, buddy, have a good day at school. And, and mommy will pick you up later. Well, anyway, he, um, I'm walking out. I hear him tell his, te- his teacher. He says, Ms. Rodriguez, I have a story to tell you. And, uh, and so she says, well, why don't you say it to the whole class? So anyway, so that piques my curiosity. So I'm standing at the door just peeking my head in. And they're doing this thing. If you're ever like, you know, they're doing this thing called circle time where there's this map. Okay, you're nodding your head like you've heard of that. Okay. So if, for those of you that don't have kids or uh, you don't hang out in preschools, just, you know, just like, I just, I just like to hang out here. I love the, love the animal crackers. Uh, so anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so his whole class is sitting there and Xander stands up in front of the whole class and he says, I have a story to tell you. The story of the angel picture. And I, I kid you not, all the kids go, ooh. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> and then um, they say, he, he, they say, he says, do you know the angels are dancing in heaven when someone starts to love God? And they're like, oh, do you know that angels are God's helpers? Ooh, did you know that angels are our protectors? And then they're like, oh, yeah, the end. And that was it. Everybody was excited, and I'm in the back, and I'm like, I'm watching a preacher develop. He's going to give an altar call at the end. He's going to do it, you know? Yeah. My son, the preacher. And uh, so, and, 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 but here's the thing, and this is the thing. I'm telling you, I'm watching this, and I, I'm so moved. I'm so proud of him, um, and, and I'm watching him. And, and here's the thing that I realized. There are some things that you only learn taking the stairs. Listen, listen, 
here's what we want. We want to learn the lessons standing on the elevator, pushing a button, and just getting up to the next level. That's what we want. We want it to be easy. And here's the thing that God teaches us many times when we go through the trial, and then when we're on the other side of the trial, is this one I could only learn when it was a little tougher, when it was a little more difficult, when I had to take the stairs, when going the other way would have been a little bit easier because trials and challenges have the ability to develop our faith and our character like nothing else can. That's why James would say this. He would say, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, my friends, here's the thing that we have to understand is that every test that you have, every test that I have, every test that we have in life is preparation for what God is going to do next. Because we have to experience it and go through it to get to the next level. You can't just read about it. You can't just hear about it from somebody else. You've got to actually go through it to learn it, to know it, and then to go to the next place that God has for you. Because there's something that not only we have to learn, but there's something in us that's forged and developed through the season of difficulty. You see, I mean, try as you might, and I would encourage you to Google this because it's, it's got to be the weirdest thing ever. But there are websites dedicated to teach you how to learn to swim online. I, I took the liberty of printing this out. Now, there's a website to teach you if you want to learn how to do the breaststroke. That will teach you, it's in four simple steps, how to learn to swim online. Step one, leg movement. Move your feet and legs together like a frog would. Right? Kind of like this. <laughs> Simply bend your knees. And lift your feet up as far as your posterior. And then turn your feet out in preparation for pushing, uh, for pushing back with the bottom of your foot. Move your feet out and in again to meet each other. Straighten your legs with your knees touching. What else? Click. Step two. Arm movement. Start out by placing your arms out in front of you with your palms facing outward and pushing both hands out as if drawing a full circle. Your hands finish by stretching forward again. That's easy enough. Step three, breathing. Once you have mastered the leg and arm movements, you will notice that your head begins to naturally lift up at the end of the cycle. This occurs, uh, when this occurs, simply lift your face and take a breath in your normal mouth. So basically, if you're human, just keep breathing. And then, step four, the last step is to put the stroke together. So put your arms and breathe in. And while your legs push back and stretch out with your body in the water. Now, what they tell you, now you can do this standing up. What they tell you is to lay on some surface like a chair and just practice this, you know, uh, kind of at a horizontal level. Could you imagine doing this in your house? And somebody walks in. But hey, dinner's ready. I'm learning to swim. I'll be right there. Can I just tell you something? This is what crazy people do. Okay? You know, it's, it's not like someone, you know, you see, this is not what a reasonable person does. A reasonable, you, you have a better chance of learning to swim in the shower than you have learning to swim online. Because at least there's water involved in the shower. Because I can promise you this, and I'm no swimming expert. If you want to learn to swim, water has to be part of the equation at some point. It's just the way it is. And listen, 
And the truth of the matter is, is that you can't learn to trust God by reading a book. You learn to trust God, check it out, by actually trusting him. Listen, and when you do, yeah, you can, you can laugh for that. But you get, yeah, okay, okay, that's good. The rest of you guys are late. At the 10 o'clock, they nailed it. Just telling you. Um, and, and, and the truth is, is that when you trust him, it allows God to do more in your life than you possibly dreamed of. Um, and and, and the, the thing is this, that's why every test that you experience in your life is never in vain. God never wastes a pain in your life. He never wastes a circumstance in your life. He never wastes a difficulty in your life because those pains and difficulty and problems are forging the person that God is creating in you. And that's the person that's going to be able to take on the next challenge to become the person that God desires for you to become. Now, he goes on in this, and let me just read to you these verses quickly if I can. He says in verse 6, Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now here's the second thing I want to tell you quickly. And that is this. What does this church have? Number one, they had a growing faith. Number two, they had an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. You see, they were looking on at people who were giving them a hard time. They were the cause. They were going through challenges, but they were looking on at the people who were causing the challenges, causing the trial, causing the difficulty. And here's what they realized, is that we're living for eternity, not for the temporal. And because of that, we've got our eyes fixed on eternity, not just on the right now. Um, here, here's kind of how it works. Is um, The other day, uh, this is probably several months ago, I was driving to the office from my house, and uh, there was this Volvo that was behind me that was very upset that I was going the 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. In fact, I had my cruise control set to 35 miles an hour. Now, that's normally not what I do, but I had it set to, the thir- to 35 because the people that were going in the other direction were flashing their brights, which, as you know, is the universal symbol of there's a cop, so you better slow down because the understanding is you're probably going too fast. And so, anyway, um, so I slow down, I get to the 35, and uh, the Volvo is just really upset that I'm going the speed limit, and it's a two-lane, um, a, a two-lane road that we're going down, uh, or two lanes on each side. And so he gets around me. Uh, finally, a car pulls, you know, keeps going. He gets around me. And you, you know that awkward moment when you're like, right? Like somebody going around and then this guy's upset with you and you know he's upset with you and you look over and you, your eyes kind of meet. Well, that kind of happened. And then he used this gesture to show that, he, that I was number one in his book. And, um, and so he did that and then he drove, uh, and then he drove off. And, um, and, and then, see, but he didn't realize all the flashing brights, so he just gunned it from there. And then, I got to tell you, it was just so awesome. Um, and I probably shouldn't have relished in this as much as I did. But I got to tell you, you know, what, you know what's an awesome thing about being a cop? I'm not a cop, nor do I play one on TV. But I tell you what, what I think is awesome is when the cop comes out in the middle of the street and he just goes like this. That is awesome. 
And I, I, I've sometimes like dreamt of being a cop and they're like, well, you want to solve crimes? I care less about crime. I want to do this. I just, I, seriously, I, there is something in me. I'm going to start doing that in my neighborhood. I'm going to see if it works. You, boom. And uh, I'm going to see if it works. Um, I'll make my own badge and everything. Um, but, that, that, but here's the thing, is that now, now we have another moment. Uh, you know, where he drives by, he tells me a little something about him, and then I drive by. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I just go. I give him... Th- you're, you're number one in my book. And I give him the thumbs up. And uh, I, it's, I'll be honest with you. It felt so awesome. I felt like I'd won a contest. And uh, now, here's the point. The point is this. It is that there are people who cause us trouble. And we think that, oh man, um, I- I'm going to have to deal with it in the moment. But if you just stop and say, you know what? Um, we're, we're, Paul says, God is the one who's going to take revenge. God is the one who is going to settle the score. That there is going to be this moment where all the things that are, that are not right are going to be made right. Because we're living with an eternal perspective. I love this passage in Psalm 73, which um, time doesn't permit us to spend a lot of time in this. But I would encourage you to read the whole thing. But I'm going to just give you a selection of verses. And it's about this, the psalmist. And he's saying, man, God is good. But here's what I learned. I learned that I see how everyone else is doing. All these ungodly people are doing well. And the godly are going through difficulties. And man, I was almost ready to give up. Look what happens. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my hands nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Behold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought to understand this, it was too painful for me. And then he says this, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. He says, man, I was bummed out because these ungodly people were doing well. They're oppressing righteous people. And and I thought it's worthless until I went into the sanctuary of God and got an eternal perspective of their end. You see, this church had the same the same, the same thing. They, their perspective was we're going through a difficult time, but we have eternity in view, not just the, the temporal, not just the momentary. We have the eternal in view. Well, let me read you the last two verses that are so important. He says, therefore, in light of this, we, always, we, we, pray, uh, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all, uh, all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the third thing I want to tell you. And that is that this church had godly ambition. They had godly ambition. Listen, can I, we can just talk frankly for a minute. Like everybody wants to be happy. I get that. Um, the challenge is finding out how to be happy. And so what happens for all of us is that we start looking for happiness in a lot of different things. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in stuff. We look for it in, in money and, and the things that money can buy. And the problem is, is that um, it doesn't, we find out the hard way that it doesn't make us happy. And, and, and the, the problem is, is that maybe we get something and it makes us happy. 
And then a year, a year from now, we aren't happy. Like, I was talking to a guy the other day. I, I think I've told this story before, but I was talking to a guy, and uh, his phone rang, and he pulled out the original iPhone. And I was like, oh, dude. I felt so bad for him. Like, I feel so sorry for you. I'm sorry your life stinks. That's what I thought. I'm like, I'll pray things get better, you know? And, and, but see, there was a time when he bought the original iPhone. He was the coolest guy in the room. And, um, you know, like, I, I have, right now I have the iPhone 4S, which is one less. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're really, you're going to beat that 10 o'clock uh, service. Anyway, but the, when I had the iPhone 4S, I was the coolest guy in the room. When the phone rang, oh, oh dude, you know, how can I help you, Siri? You know, it was like, so anyway, I was the coolest guy in the room. I went to lunch the other day, and my phone rang, and, uh, and, I, and I just, you know, clicked it off because I, was, I, was, uh, I had an appointment with someone. And so the server was there, so I clicked it off. And the server asks me, um, oh, what phone is that? I'm like, oh, it's the 4S. And they're like, oh. <laughs> like, the 5 came out, and now I'm the loser. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. I was a master, like, a month ago. And they're like, hmm, Sorry. You know, and, and, and they gave me the look that I gave that other guy. Like, the, wow, I'm sorry. Your life is so bad. You know, what can I get you to eat? You know, anyways, it was, it was horrible. And uh, now let me just tell you this, right? Because we're trying to get all this stuff and thinking that that's what's going to make us happy. I want you to notice something about this church. This church's number one goal was to glorify God. And by the way, um, the goal of your life, whether you realize it or not, because um, we were created to glorify God. You and I were created to glorify Him. Let me read you the last verse in your outline, Colossians 1. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven or that are on earth, visible or in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. Everything was created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus and that includes you and me. We were created to glorify God. This is why life is so frustrating for so many. Is because if we live life to glorify and please ourselves, life becomes a very frustrating endeavor because that's not the way life works. However, if I recognize that God made me and that I was made for Him, that's when I fully give myself to Him and this is when I find the purpose in my life. Listen, too many people are walking around simply existing when they could be living the full life that Jesus offers every person. And listen, can I tell you that that, that may be you. You may be living life all for yourself and um, someone invited you to church and, and you're, you're resonating with this. And you're like, man, that's, that's exactly what's happened. I've been just trying to figure it out on my own. And, 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 and what happens is, is that we try to figure it out on our own and, we, and then the relationships implode. And the stuff doesn't satisfy. And no matter how successful we are, it's not enough. And then we start thinking that maybe there's something wrong with me. Can I tell you this? Stuff was never supposed to satisfy you. An earthly relationship was never supposed to satisfy you. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said these words. If I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were created for eternity. That's why only eternal things can satisfy us. That's why anything earthly can maybe give us a glimpse of something, but it's really only a shadow of something eternal. 
that that's the real thing that satisfies us. And listen, we were created for eternity, but as people, we're all fallen and broken people. We're all people that know the right and wrong thing to do, but we do the wrong thing. We're all sinners. And because of that, here's what happens, is that we, we've missed it, but God loves us so much that he refused to leave us in that fallen condition. And that's why we talk about, um, oh, that's why Jesus came into the world and he died for our sins and all that. Listen, he died for our sins. He did it. Him who was perfect died for us who was imperfect so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God so that we could have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. You see, when we talk about eternal life, eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts right now. It starts in this moment when you give your life to Jesus, that when you, when you, the moment that you make a decision to follow Jesus, that's when you have eternal life. That's when you grab hold of eternal life. It starts right now, and it takes us all the way through into eternity. That's why when we talk about, oh, man, I just want to be happy. And so we seek happiness. Happiness is not something you seek. Happiness is the byproduct of something else. You see, when you decide to follow God, and honor the Lord with your life. After a season of time, you're going to look on and you say, man, I'm really happy. And that's where it begins, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, because he died for you, because he offers us forgiveness and grace and life and peace, he offers us a fresh start. And listen, that's the thing that's so amazing about having the opportunity to start over. And listen, what I know is this, is that God is speaking to some of us today and saying, you know, I've, I've been looking for fulfillment and purpose in all the wrong places. And now you've shared this, that I was created for eternity, created to glorify God because I was created by God. That resonates with me. It makes sense. So where do I begin? You begin by giving your life to Jesus, the one who created you. And that's when you see him begin to change and transform your life. And things will never be the same. And he begins to work in your life. And you, you start experiencing the life that you only dreamt of. Listen, I say this not in theory. I say this because this is my story. And I believe it can be your story as well. Let's pray together. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you give to us the opportunity to know you. That, God, we were created for eternity by a God who loves us. A God who desires to know us and have a relationship with us. We thank you for that. And, God, I know that there are some in this room who've never made that decision. May today be the day that they experience the fulfillment, the peace, the love that comes through knowing you. Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed as we're praying together, maybe as I've been talking, you really resonated with what was saying. And you're saying, I want to know God. I want to be forgiven by God. I want to have the, the fresh start that you were talking about. I want to have the purpose that you were talking about. Listen, if that's you, here's what I'm going to ask. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to pray for you. And as if you say, man, that's me, I'm going to just invite you to lift your hand. I want to pray for you as we close our service. I see some hands uh, there in the center. God bless you. Hands on this side. God bless you. 
you know that God wants to do a work in your life. You're experiencing that right now. You're, just, you're feeling God's spirit just move in you right now. Saying, yes, this is exactly what I know the Lord wants me to do. One last moment. You say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me. Just lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over this room. Blessings to you. Father, we thank you so much for those who have lifted a hand because, God, we know that their hearts are open. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray that you'd meet them where they are. And as they take a step in your direction, Lord, that you would meet them, that you would begin the work of transforming and changing their life starting right now, that they would experience eternal life starting right now. would do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.